The reading is from Genesis chapter 13, uh, starting at the first verse. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right... I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, John. And yeah, I made a typo. Apologise for that. 13, not 3. Has anyone here ever been caught speeding? Oh, that's good. Because in 2013, a long time ago, isn't it, 2013, I got caught speeding. I was pregnant with Joshua, which means that my brain had clearly gone off somewhere while I was driving. And um, I was in Brighton on a weekend away. And when we got back a few weeks later, this letter came through and I said, Oh, Simon, you've been caught speeding. No, it was me. And so, as some of you know, I had a choice. Well, as many of you might know, you have a choice. You get to go on a speed awareness course. Because it wasn't a lot. You know, it was 33 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Not that that's good, but you get the opportunity to go on a speed awareness course. Or you get to pay a fine and have points. So I decided, because the speed awareness course was cheap, (laughs) sounds awful, that I was going to go on the speed awareness course. So I turned up, which was, that was a few months later, so I turned up eight months pregnant on this course, and people were like, oh, dear, no. Unborn child, and she was speeding, how terrible. Walked in, all these people, and, you know, it was really fascinating. It was a really good course. And having done the course, I have to say, still now, five years later, it's changed the way that I drive. 
I mean, I can't remember everything they said on the course, and I still get a bit fuddled by some of the information, but it's made me think about all the other people on the road. You know, the road is for everyone, it's not just for me. And about the speed limits, drive to the end of the limit, not aiming for the uh, next sign of what you're going to reach that when you get there. You know, drive differently, it said. This is what the roads are like. And I still drive differently, and I still think about it, and it's changed the way that I view driving and that I do drive. Because, you see, interestingly, it was this intervention, this course, that prompted me to think differently and therefore drive differently. Changed the way I viewed the speed limits and other people and everything like that. And even though I don't always drive as I should, there are times, the course has had a big impact on my driving life. If I had got points and a fine... I don't think it would have had such a change as going on that course. And, you know, here in the book of Genesis, although Abraham clearly didn't drive a car, he did seem to have experienced some kind of intervention in his life that changed the way that he then lived. Because when Abraham was called by God to go, when he was called from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan in chapter 12 to be a blessing to the world... It seemed that although he left everything he had, although he moved from his home, although he did amazing things in response to God's call, he still, in a way, didn't fully trust God. He didn't trust this God who had called him to come through on his promises. And the reason I say this is because, as we saw last week, when Abraham was faced with difficulty, when he was hit by trouble and life happened to him, namely the famine which endangered himself and Sarah, instead of trusting God to fulfil his promise and hold on to Abraham so that the future could take place, Abraham became scared. And instead he sought to fulfil these promises himself through lies and deception to protect his own life. And because he acted in this way, he ended up in Egypt, trapped in a situation, as we said last week, that he just couldn't escape from. Until God, in his love and power, intervened to bring Abraham out of Egypt with his wife and everything that he had gained while he was in there. And it's this intervention, when God reached out and rescued Abraham, that seemed to change the way that Abraham looked at life and looked at faith. It was a fairly dramatic intervention, as we mentioned last week, but it also seemed to cause Abraham to see God and his promises and purposes in a new way. You see, before Egypt, Abraham was called, and he was promised, and he was given a future and a legacy. But somehow, he didn't seem to quite understand who held the responsibility for this. And so the decisions he made when famine hit were those of a man who was living this out himself, a man trying to protect, trying to save, trying to hold on to what God had given him so that he could then continue his journey, which led him to get into a mess instead of being a blessing. Whereas following God's intervention in Egypt, Abraham seemed different. For a start, the first thing he did when he left Egypt, as we said, was to make his way back to Bethel to the place where he first built that altar and where he first worshipped God. And when he got there, he called on the name of the Lord. He went back to where he first arrived in this new land and he called out to God again. 
As if following the intervention of God in Egypt, Abraham seemed to realise that actually he needed to trust God. He needed to give everything he had and trust God with all of it. The God of the call, the God of the promises. He didn't just need to follow him, as he'd been doing. He needed to trust him to make this life actually happen. And so he made a point of offering himself to God once more at the altar. Maybe a little bit like we may have done a few moments ago. But then, of course, following this, as with every single person that's ever walked the face of the earth, life once more happened to Abraham. Problems came, difficulties arose, and Abraham faced more difficult decisions. This time, it was family problems. I'm sure many of us have experienced that from time to time. Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot now had a great number of possessions between them and they were struggling to find enough good land to sustain both of these families. This was partly due to the fact that the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time, which in today's language probably means that there were a lot of permanent dwellings throughout Canaan. Traditionally, the Perizzites were people who lived in villages, And the Canaanites settled in towns, which meant that the land was filled with maybe small clusters of houses, farming communities that had settled, towns that had begun to be established throughout the land. Most of these were situated in the valleys that were lush and plentiful, where there was lots of stuff of the land to sustain. Whereas Abraham and Lot were tent dwellers. They were newcomers, or as they say in Cottenham, incomers into this already populated land. And so having come back from Egypt to a land full of dwellings, Abraham found that the only viable option for him and Lot were the more mountainous regions along the spine of Canaan. Those areas were less vegetated, they had less support, which maybe before Abraham went to Egypt would have been enough for him and Lot to share, to live happily together. But now, of course, due to Pharaoh's generosity, they had their possessions that had greatly increased and they were unable to stay together. So quarrelling broke out, disagreements took place and the promises of God were threatened once more by the problems of life. And Abraham found that once again he had a choice. He had a choice to make in his walk with God. Was he going to be the kind of man once more who tried to control this situation? Was he going to be the kind of man who asserted his right to the land? Was he going to try and protect the promises of God from yet another problem that was seeming to destroy them once more? Or if you like, did he become scared as he had when the famine hit and tried to hold on to everything that God had given him? Or was he going to be different Having received God's intervention in Egypt, was he now going to trust God? The God of the call, the God of the promises. Was he going to trust him to fulfill these promises and hold on to Abraham and his family in the process? Now, you know, looking at the situation from a purely human point of view, by rights in that time, Abraham as the older uncle could well have taken claim to whatever land he wanted. 
wouldn't have been wrong to do that. In fact, it might have been the thing that Lot was expecting him to do. And it would certainly have protected his right to the land of Canaan and God that God had brought him to. Equally, he could have done nothing, hoped that the quarrelling settled, that people started to get on, that it all sort of blew over. But instead, Abraham acted, and he acted differently, because instead, this time, he seemed to trust the God of the call. He seemed to trust that the God who called him would also provide for him and bring him through this difficult situation. And when he did this, it enabled him to let go of the need to protect and hold on to. And it allowed him to be free, to be generous, to offer Lot the choice of where he wanted to settle. To give him the choice to go left or to go right. To allow him to look for the best land and leave Abraham with whatever was left over. As it was, Lot did look around. He had a good look, in fact, from the ledge, looking down into the valley. Could go to the left, could go to the right. But instead, he went down. He saw the lush green land of the Jordan Plain, next to the river, next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he chose that. He chose the best that he could see. Leaving Abram with the more mountainous ridge near Bethel. Or if you like, leaving Abram to settle in Canaan as God had intended him to do all along. And you know, when Abraham chose to change his perspective, when he chose to trust God, to trust that God could be responsible rather than taking the responsibility himself, this enabled him to let go, to let go of his fear, to let go of his stress, to let go of that trap that we fall into, to control everything. And make sure it works out okay. So he didn't feel the need to try to attempt to make God's promises come true or to protect all that God had given him. But instead, he allowed God to take that responsibility so that he, Abraham, could be free to be generous as God wanted him to be, to once more be a blessing to the world. Do you know, last year... I was quite surprised to find, don't know whether anyone else has found this, that they started to make the print smaller on the back of, like, medicine bottles and things, and I couldn't see it. (laughs) Why do they do that when you get into your 40s? So I'm like this. So I thought, maybe I should go to the optician. Hadn't been for years. And I went there, and the optician said, hmm, yes. You're a woman of a certain age. (laughs) I said, yes. He said, "Um, and that means that, you know, you're going to need reading glasses. I went, but it's really strange because it suddenly happened. You know, like I woke up and I was like, I can't see this. And he went, no, 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 no. It didn't suddenly happen. Your eyes have been struggling to refocus for a number of years, Mrs. Lees. And they've suddenly stopped doing it. I went, oh, okay, I'm getting older then. He went, well, you need reading glasses. And I thought, do I really? I mean, I can read a book. 
It's fine. I can see a screen. It's all right. But I thought best. So I got these glasses. I went back. I paid fortunes of money for them. Oh, my goodness. And then I got them home, and they stayed on my desk for ages. So I thought, I don't really need them. I can see. And then one day, I was feeling a bit tired. I thought, I'll just put them on, you know. And I put them on, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I can see. I was like half blind, and now I can see. It was like the most amazing revelation ever in my life. And even now, every time I put them on, I'm like, wow, I can see this book. I don't always put them on. I just struggle. But then every now and again, I'm amazed. It changes everything. If you're struggling to see the back of a packet, go to the optician. It's amazing. It changes the way you see things. It's wonderful. And, you know, if we trust God like Abraham did, not simply follow God blindly without thought or question, but actually trust him with all that he's given us and the call that he's put upon our lives, then it's like putting on a new pair of glasses. It changes our perspective on how we can live. It enables us to see how God has called us to be. Not as people who hold a great responsibility to save the world ourselves. Not as people who are scared to make the wrong choice or the wrong decision. Not as people like Abraham before Egypt who always need to protect the ways of God or protect our lives or hold on to what we have but as people who are different, people who don't just follow God, but they also trust him, trust him with our possessions, trust him with our future, trust him with our lives, trust that the God who has called us will also provide for us and will bring us through. And, you know, when we do this, when we change our perspective, as Abraham did, and we begin to live lives of trust, it doesn't mean bad things won't happen, of course, and it doesn't mean that we won't get hurt or that, that we'll live a pain-free life, but it does mean that within all of that that happens to us, we can be free. Within our circumstances, we can be free, free from fear, free from stress, free from controlling everything and trying to work out if it will be okay before we trust God. Or if you like, it means like Abraham, that we will become generous in our ways. Generous with the lives that God has given us. Not concerned about holding on, but concerned about what we can give to others. Generous with our money, our relationships, our time, our faith. Because we can trust that through this free generosity, through letting go, And letting God take the responsibility. That we'll not lose everything, but instead God will work out his promises, just as he did with Abraham. And we, his people, will continue to be a blessing to those around us, a blessing to the world. Let's pause for a moment before God.